come to the reading of God's Word. And tonight we're back in our Philippians series. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, then please turn to Philippians. It's one of the shorter books in the New Testament. So if you're not sure where it is, maybe start at the back and and flick your way forward. (laughs) Um, If you haven't got a Bible and you'd love to follow along, there's there's some Bibles out in the foyer and black covers. You'll be able to find them. You can follow along if that's helpful. Or maybe you just want to hear the Word of God, and that's okay as well. We're in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but tonight we're really focusing on uh, verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, this is the Word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. 
Father, we pray that at the start of this new year, we might hear you clearly, that your word might shape the trajectory of our lives in these incoming days. Father, we ask that you'll help us now, that your spirit would be at work through your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a new year, isn't it? It's uh, 2024, and uh, here we are on the first night, uh, first Sunday night of the evening services in the year. Um, I don't know how you brought in the new year. Perhaps it was with friends, perhaps it was with family, perhaps like me, you tried to sleep your way from one year into the next, and that was a blissful experience. Um, I I don't know what you did. Um, Perhaps you maybe uh, thought about some New Year's resolutions. I'll not ask you to put up your hand if you've been able to keep your resolutions, but perhaps you've made some New Year's resolutions. Um, New Year is often a time when people take some uh, time to to think back over the year that's been, uh, perhaps to consider what took place, think about improvements they can make in their their lives, and and really set themselves to do that in the year ahead. That's it. It's a good thing, isn't it? There's nothing magical about uh, the new year, and yet it's, it's good to reflect on what's gone before and to think ahead and to try and set ourselves to living rightly. I wonder if you know what some of the top goals were, uh, New Year's resolutions that people had for 2024, perhaps maybe not that different than other years. Um, Here's some of the big hitters that, um, well, according to one poll that was done about a thousand adults. Um, Anyone think they can guess what the top one was? Uh, Close, yes, very close. Um, Top one was improve their fitness. 48% of people said they wanted to do that. Second one, improve their finances. 38% of people said that. Third one was improve their mental health with 36%. Then, as you said, lose weight in there at 34%. And number five was improve their diet at 32%. Now, that was the big five. I did flick down the rest just to see what came in. And um, I did notice that perform better at work also made it onto the list at number 14, but that only had 3%. Only 3% wanted to uh, perform their work better. Don't worry, Alistair, nobody asked me, otherwise the percentage would have been slightly higher. I'll do my best to up my game. But, but I wonder if you had some goals for the year ahead. I wonder if you've thought about some changes that you want to make. Have you set yourself to them? Some goals for the year ahead. Well, the passage that we're looking at, Paul has one goal. One goal. As far as I know, when Paul was writing this, it it wasn't New Year, uh, but he was writing to the saints in Philippi, but he does want them to have one goal, one goal that is fixed in their minds. He wants them to have a singular focus, not just in the year ahead, but in however long the Lord gives them, whatever their length of life will be. So what is this one goal? What is Paul's one goal that he thinks each of us as believers should have? Well, It's quite simple. His goal is Christ. His goal is Christ. That's Paul's focus. He wants to be found in Christ. He wants to become more and more like Christ. He wants to know Christ more. He wants to share in Christ's sufferings. He wants to to attain resurrection life, a glorified body, and be forever with Christ. What is his goal? Christ. That is his goal. That is where he has set his sights, and that is the the very thing that he says we are to set our sights on, to set our focus on, setting our goal on Christ. 
And that's really the, the big message of this passage that we're focusing on this evening. Have a look with me at these verses. Uh, look first at uh, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The first thing I want us to see tonight is that Paul is not perfect. Paul is not perfect, and yet, that is his goal. Perhaps um, there were some who were saying to those in, in Philippi that they had already reached perfection, as if they were already in their glorified state. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not the case. That's something that happens in the future. It's not a current reality for the Christian, and it certainly wasn't Paul's experience. Now, I realize that we're jumping in at verse 12 here, and because we've kind of had a few weeks break from Philippians, possibly we've kind of forgotten about what it's been talking about before, and yet it's really important that we understand that the link between what's come before and what's coming now. If you look at uh, verse 12, see it says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. We need to understand what what is the this that he's talking about here? What is the this that he has not already obtained? And so if you look back, you'll you'll see what comes last in the list of, of things that he's been talking about. And you'll see it's the resurrection from the dead. That's the resurrection from the dead. But in saying that he hasn't reached the resurrection from the dead, it's also really a way of summarizing. It's a way of summarizing, in a holistic sense, the Christian hope. The Christian hope. Paul is not like Jesus in the way that he will one day be. The gap between his life now and what it will be after he has been glorified is significant, and he recognizes that. Glorification has not taken place yet. He is not perfect yet. And yet, what does Paul strive for? That is what he strives for. It's his goal, isn't it? He longs to be more and more godly now. He longs to be sanctified, to become more like Christ in every way now. He longs to know Jesus more and more intimately now. And so he presses on. He presses on to make it his own. He pursues it. He chases after it. And this language of of pressing on is the kind of language that's used to speak of an athlete, an athlete who's running and and coming near the the finish line of the race. Maybe you've watched on at some of the uh, Olympics on television, and uh, as the runner uh, sprints and and near near the end, you see them, they're really leaning in, aren't they? They're they're straining, they're they're pressing on, they're, they're trying to make sure that they get over the line and get over the line first. They strain forward to reach the line. They have this singular focus. They don't look backwards to see who's chasing them. They don't look side to side. No, no, they strain forward. That's what they must do. They're focused on their goal. They are single-sided. And that's what Paul's like. That's what Paul's like. But what is it that motivates Paul? What is the reason that he has this single focus, this goal? Well, What empowers Paul is the gospel itself, isn't it? The good news of what Jesus has already done for him. Look with me at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, what's the because? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Made me his own. And Paul knows that he has already been saved. 
He's been saved by Christ Jesus. It's not that somehow Paul thinks that if only he keeps a single focus on Christ, that then he will be saved. No, he knows that already he has been saved. And so it is in response to the saving act of Christ Jesus that he now gives his life completely body and soul over to Jesus. That is his focus. And don't miss the force of the language which he uses to talk about his salvation experience. He says, Christ Jesus made me his own. He made me his own. Who is it that saves? Well, Paul is in no doubt. He is in no doubt. Jesus is the one who came along and saved him. That's what took place. Paul was not seeking after it. No, in fact, if you know the conversion story of Paul, what was he doing? Well, he was actually actively involved in opposing Christ Jesus and his followers. He was seeking to kill those who followed after Jesus. And so Paul knows what happens. He knows that it was Jesus who came came along and took hold of him. He made him his own. And the word that we translate here as made me in English, really that the force of it can almost be lost. It can almost be missed because it carries with it this idea of taking possession of, of of taking hold of, of, of seizing something. Paul knows that what took place in his life was that Christ Jesus took hold of him. It was an act of saving grace. God rescued him. A saving act. And yet, although Christ is the one who saved him, this does not mean that it doesn't require a response on Paul's part. In fact, the only fitting response, the only fitting response is to give yourself completely to Jesus. And it's there that Paul sets himself to this goal. Christ is his goal. Christ is his focus to know him more, to become more and more like him, to live obediently to him. Christ is his goal. But he lives this out knowing what Christ has already done, knowing what Christ has already done in him and how it is Christ's power that is at work within him, enabling him to live out this life. Look with me at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, even Paul knows he hasn't made it yet. Paul knows he has not made it yet. And yet we can be sure if Paul has not reached his goal of Christ-likeness. Well, then neither have we. Neither have we. But Paul's focus is is not to to constantly have his eyes in the rearview mirror, looking at his life up until this point, but rather his focus is is on the future. It's a future focus. He is focused on what lies ahead, isn't he? And that's really the, the second thing I want you to notice in this passage tonight. Paul has a his future firmly in focus. Paul has his future firmly in focus. And this is a future that shapes his present. 
It's a future focus that shapes his present and is fed by what Christ has already done in the past and what Christ continues to do in him. And it allows Paul not to get stuck looking back. Not to get stuck looking back. Because we can do that, can't we? We can get stuck looking back. Maybe you've taken time to think of the year gone past and uh, to, to really learn some lessons from that year. Maybe you've taken time to count your blessings. Maybe you've been able to look back and see how in God's grace you have grown spiritually over the year, how God has been sanctifying you over the year. And that is a, that is a good thing. That is something to give thanks for. And yet, we must not get stuck there. We're not supposed to get stuck there. For some of us, our temptation may be to look at the good things, the growth in godliness, the sinning less, the knowledge of Christ that we have grown in, good things, but we need to be careful not to get stuck there, stuck looking at these good things and and taking our eyes off the future goal. We do not want to become stagnant. No, our, our lives as Christians is to be one that is marked with constant growth, constant sanctification, constant growing in the knowledge of Christ and in Christ-likeness. One of the great sadnesses whenever we look around the church is whenever we see people who, who used to be on fire for Jesus, who used to be on fire for Jesus, people who were growing, people who were uh, hungering uh, after Christ, wanting to, to grow in their knowledge and, and Christ-likeness, and you could see it in them. It was so evident in their lives. They hungered after his word. They, they were keen to serve uh, his, his, his church. Maybe they even had leadership responsibilities. They were teaching others to grow, and it was a, a joy to look on and watch. And then something happened. Something happened, and they took their eyes off of Christ. They took their eyes off Christ. Perhaps they still turn up. Perhaps they're still here. Perhaps they haven't denied the faith. But rather, their focus has been taken off Christ, and that desire to grow in godliness is no longer there. The desire to die to themselves and live for God is no longer what really marks their life seems that it's almost dried up. Yes, they're at the Olympics. Yes, they're at the race, but somehow they've managed to move off the track and into the stands and just look on at some others who are running. Rather than pressing on for the goal, the goal of the prize, seems that somehow they're, they're content to be in the gallery watching on as others run, as others press. They may even cheer them on, but they themselves seem almost like they're no longer in the race. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. This should not be the case. Christ is to be our constant goal. That's what Paul's telling us. Christ is to be our constant goal. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian doesn't matter what your health is like or what other responsibilities that you find yourself with. Christ is to be your goal. 
Perhaps um, when you look back, it's, it's not the growth that you get stuck looking at and all of the good things, but you get stuck looking at all of the mess, all of the sin, all of the failures of your life as you look back. And perhaps as, as you look back, you, you get stuck there. You get stuck there thinking that you can no longer move forward with Jesus and it becomes a distraction. All of the stuff in the past becomes a distraction from keeping your eyes focused on Christ today, from keeping that future focus. Well, Paul wants us to know that we are to forget what lies behind and we are to strain forward, strain forward. Christ is to be our goal. We're not to get stuck looking in the rearview mirror. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, this is a certain prize. It's a certain prize. He already knows it's coming, for the upward call has already gone out. Paul already knows the saving power of Christ at work in his life. And yet, yet it has not come to full consummation yet. Yes, he knows Christ, but he will know him better then. Yes, he's had his sins forgiven now. Yes, but he will be sinless then. Yes, he's being sanctified now, but he will be brought to perfection then. Yes, Christ's work in him had begun, and the promised end was in sight. But he wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet. And Paul's goal in this interim period was to work to work by the enabling power of the Spirit of God to reduce the gap, to reduce the gap. If you ever go over to the the subway in in London, then you you constantly hear this, mind the gap, mind the gap. And what is it? Well, you know what happens. The the tube comes along, and and there's a a gap between the platform that you stand on and, and the tube. And what they want you to do is not fall in the gap. And so they say, mind the gap. There's a gap there. There's a distance, okay? That's what uh, Mind the Gap is really trying to get your attention for. Don't fall in the gap. And yet this evening, I think what Paul's trying to say is, mind the gap. (laughs) See that distance between you now and what you will be and try and reduce the gap. Make that gap as small as it possibly can be so that on the day when Christ returns, there will be less and less change required because you will have been changed sanctified, become more and more holy. Reduce the difference now. Mind the gap. See the distance shrink. That's what Paul has set his life to do. He's got the future firmly in focus, and he's seeking to reduce the difference now. Third thing I want you to see in this number of verses is that maturing is what we want to be. Maturing is what we want to be. Verse 15 Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, Paul knew that having a single focus, a single focus, a single goal of Christ was indeed the mature understanding. Let those who are mature Think this way. It's something that must be kept in mind, isn't it? The mature believer thinks about their goal. The mature believer thinks much about Christ. 
The mature believer seeks to live a Christ-like life, seeking to be obedient to him. Now, those of us who are mature think this way. But Paul also knows that not everyone is mature yet. There will be many who were immature, and they may seek after other goals, and yet their focus would be misplaced. The right focus is indeed Christ. That should be our goal. And yet I I think here we see that in order for us to grow to maturity, we need God's grace, don't we? We need God's grace. We need God to reveal that to us, to grant us eyes to see so that we might set our focus right, that we might line up our life and, and point it towards Christ. And I think that that means that there is a, a sense in which we need to be gracious to each other, isn't it? Because I'm a slow learner. Perhaps some of you, like me, are, are slow learners. And if you're like me, well, then you are not as mature as you would like to be. Not as mature as you'd like to be. And yet God is gracious with us, isn't he? Ever so gracious. And he leads us to grow one step at a time. Look at that last verse. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What's it talking about here? Well, one commentator, I think, puts it really helpfully. He says, Here the calling is to conduct yourself in a manner that is consistent with the level of growth God has brought you to. Conduct yourself in a manner that is consistent with the level of growth that God has brought you to. As the call of the Spirit of God goes out through the Word of God, seek to walk in step with the Spirit. Seek with God's help to hold to how He calls us to live as his people. And so as we reach the end, let me ask you a question. What's your goal for the year ahead? What's your goal? Do you have one? Well, if you glance at verse 17, you'll see that Paul thinks you should. Paul thinks you should, and that goal should be to imitate the goal that he had for his life. And his goal was Christ. Perhaps you're here and you've never experienced the saving work of Christ in your life. Well, tonight, can I encourage you to seek him out, to call out to him and ask him to work in you, to save you from your sin. For it is the same saving power of Christ that works in us to be able to bring about that sanctification. Sanctification, that becoming more like Christ, can only happen once the saving work has already taken place. It's only then that we will grow in Christ-likeness. So as we close, let's just think for a moment about what this singular focus might look like. This single goal of Christ, what does it look like on the ground? What does it look like with a boiler suit on? with a school uniform, with a knitted cardigan. Well, it will look like regularly spending time hearing the Word of God. I wonder, have you got a daily pattern? A daily pattern when you open up God's Word and and read it. Set yourself afresh. Make it a habit. 
It will look like regularly meeting with God's people to worship Him. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For most of us then, that weekly gathering of God's people together should be a non-negotiable. I know that for some that won't be possible for different reasons, perhaps sickness or uh, ill health, caring for others, doing jobs that must still be done on the Lord's day. But those are the exception rather than the norm, aren't they? And for most of us, that's not the case. And here in Rich Hill, you can come morning and evening. Morning and evening. And can I encourage you that if you're able to be here for both, well then, be here for both. For that will be a sure help to keep your focus on Christ. It will look like sacrificially giving in every area of your life. Do you serve? Do you give financially? It will look like humble dependence on God to provide for all that you need. Does your life look like you trust God to provide for you? Maybe you're a, a workaholic and you never sit down. You work nonstop seven days a week. You don't rest. And the reason you don't rest is because you don't, you don't really believe that you've got a heavenly Father who knows what you need and will provide for you. It will look like obedience to his word, even when you don't like what you hear. It's the real test of obedience, isn't it? The real test of obedience isn't following along and doing what God's word says whenever it was the th thing that you think you would do anyway. The real test is, when I hear God's word calling me to do something that I don't want to do, will I still do it? It's the real test of obedience, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. When... When was the last time that you changed something about your life as a result of reading God's Word or hearing God's Word preached? It's probably a test as to how obedient we really are, isn't it? When have we actually changed something in our life as a result of hearing God's Word? It looks like spending time in prayer, talking to God. Is talking to your Heavenly Father a, a normal part of your daily life? What about corporate prayer with God's people? Did you ever come to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night? Friday mornings, you're part of a growth group that meets each week or every other week and, and takes some time to pray together. Looks like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to witness, to witness to those around you. Christian Explorers coming up, we're gonna be meeting down in the, at the cafe in the village. I wonder, can you be thinking and praying about who you might invite and be bold enough to go and invite them to come along? It will look like actively taking control of your tongue and the language that you use and the things that you talk about. I wonder, how's your speech? Is it holy? Is it righteous? Does it reflect that you belong to Jesus? You see, if, if we really do set ourselves with the goal of Christ Jesus, and seek with God's help to live it out, well then it will look very different. Very different to the life of someone who is in the stands and watching on. For the believer, their goal is to be Christ, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a new year. It's not too late to set your goal. 
and set your goal as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, at the start of this new year, might our focus be on Christ. And might you help us to keep that focus for every day of this year that we are alive. And Lord, might it not just be for this year, but might this be our life's focus, Christ and him alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.